0: Well, good morning, Grace, it is a blessing to be with you as we start our worship time in December, and I'm grateful for the folks that came in this week, helped get the building clean, got it decorated, help us uh, as we uh, go through this month that we'll celebrate and, and continue to give glory to God that He fulfilled what the Old Testament pointed to, that the Messiah would come and we get to celebrate that. So thankful for that and thankful for you and for the opportunity to be here and, and for us to worship together. Years ago, probably in the 70s, since Anita threw out 1976, I think it was a little couple years after that, um, my dad in in his job up in upstate, uh, the company had a, a lake house and a beach house, and when you got promoted up, you got to go to the beach house. Every other year, Each each manager could get Get it for a week and have the family there, and so uh, we would do that one year. My mom's side of the family would come, and we would pack it out. he would sleep about twenty-four people. It was great memories. Two years later, my dad's extended side of the family would come, and then two years later it would just go back and forth until he got another job. Um, before that, in the seventies, when he wasn't that high, uh, hadn't been promoted, they had a lake house on Lake Greenwood, and we would get get it for a weekend. And so some of my memories are going there, and we settle in, and we're all excited, and we're just, you'd think we'd had a lot of sugar. My siblings and I, we're just fit to be tied. We're just running around. And of course, some of us remember what our moms would say, go outside and play. Don't come back inside. Um, I remember drinking out of the hose a few times because she was pretty serious about do not come back in. Part of it was because we're in and out, in and out and out. It just heat up the house. But so this is the time we'd have to go out and make our fun. And so I I do remember very distinctly my brother and I would go out and get, we'd find rocks and we'd be right there on the Lake Greenwood and we would sit. And of course, you know how it is. We're trying to skip and see who can skip the most. And being the oldest, I made the rules. And so we would continue to do that until I had the most skips. And then we would go find something else to do. And um, if my brother's watching online now, I've just revealed my secret to him. Uh, but anyway, w- as we look at today's passage, I just I want a picture. So it's almost like we're going to throw a rock this morning. We're going to skip twice and then we're going to take a plunge. OK, so skip the uh, first rock as we throw. It'll be Genesis, skip Jeremiah, skip boom. Matthew. So that's kind of where we're going to go today. So let me uh, start us off here first. We'll just go to Matthew, and then we're going to backtrack and throw the rock, Okay, Uh, Matthew 2, we're going to pick up right after the Magi leave in chapter 2, starting in verse 13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. And he stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized he'd been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. And he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. And then what was spoken through the Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, spend time, as we unpack these verses, Lord, may you just continue to impact our hearts. Lord, you have been faithfully intervening in the lives of men and women through history. And Lord, you're still very active today, as active as you've always have been. And so Lord, we just pray as your people that you would uh, work in us, Lord, that we would be humble, that we would be open to your leading, that we would follow what, what you, uh, Ask us to do, Lord, that we would show that there's hope and joy in this dark world, and it is found in Jesus Christ, Your Son. And so, pray that You'll just, uh, bless this time together. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So, on this passage, as a lot of us read, you know, this is the one where we just kind of cringe. It's it's it, there's heartache there, and matter of fact, it's tragic. It's it's anguish that I cannot comprehend or relate to. When we think of what Herod did there that day when he found out that he had been, he'd been fooled or been um, misdirected, and he tragically, his actions impacted families, and there was great grieving. Um, as he mentions, he's, uh, Matthew says, he's, he says, Rachel weeping for her children. And he's referencing Jeremiah. So when I was kind of looking through this this week, and I was thinking, OK, I, what about Rachel? All right, so Rachel weeping. And um, what's that look like? So here's what we do. We got the stone now. We throw. We're going to skip. And we're going to hit in Genesis. OK, we're going to lay the groundwork and go, uh, for for Rachel and, and beyond, Jacob and beyond. Uh, it, as you know, in Genesis, we have Jacob, we have Esau. And and they're the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, and in that day and culture, it was important to have your father's blessing. And we know from the story that uh, Jacob was the younger, and he pulled a fast one on his, on his father with the help of his mom. And he stole his older brother's blessing. And of course, when Esau found out, he went into a rage, had murderous thoughts. And um, Rebecca thought, it, Joseph's got to get, I mean, not Joseph. Jacob's got to go, or he's, he's going to be in um, trouble with his brother. And so they began to make plans for him to, to, to leave. And we see that in Genesis 28. Um, and he goes, and he goes with instruction. So as he leaves, he's told, go to your uncle's house. And it's Rebecca's brother. That's Laban. And so go to his house. And Naos said, don't marry a foreign woman. Marry a daughter of Laban. And in Genesis 28, 3 and 4, we read this. It says, Uh, as, As given to Jacob, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply and multiply you so that through you become an assembly of peoples. And may God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you are to live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then, a couple of verses later, same chapter, uh, Genesis 28, 13, 15, uh, Jacob dreams. It says, The Lord was standing there beside him and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west in the east, the north, and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you." So Jacob's journey, and he meets chapter 29, he meets who? He meets Rachel. And so what happens is he's at the at the well he's talking with other shepherds there and I did a, I was reading up on this and in, in the culture and it sounds like what the setting was is that they were gathering and there was a covering over the well that would uh, provide the water to feed the the flocks and they would my understanding is right if it is, that they would wait until everybody was there, then they would, several of them would remove the stone and they would water everybody's flocks and then they would put the stone back and they would all go out. And so they're waiting for everybody to come. And so Jacob's talking with him and it says, Rachel shows up and she's a shepherdess. So she shows up and I guess he, he gets attracted to her and, and he being the man, he goes over there and moves the stone himself. It says he went over there and moved it and watered uh, Laban's sheep. Now his, his attention was caught by Rachel. Um, and this is, this is where the story gets rolling. Uh, Laban has, uh, Leah, the older and Rachel, the younger Leah, it said had tender eyes or weak eyes, not exactly sure if that was a vision thing or just, just in the look, but that, that was something that distinguished her for Rachel. She was shapely. She was beautiful. Uh, she was attractive. Uh, so it gives that, uh, picture of the two do, two sisters. But of course, he, he here he is, he sees Rachel at the well, and he, he's attracted to her. Genesis twenty nine eleven actually says that he kissed her and he wept loudly. Now, some would say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, he kissed her? Well, it would have been inappropriate had it been somebody, like somebody else. But since they were family and there was some relation there, it wasn't inappropriate for him to actually kiss her. So I guess he, he, he gave her a kiss and he wept because he get, began to uh, sense that he was where he was supposed to be. He'd been guided to go to, to, to meet his uncle. And so he's seeing things happen. Now, Rachel means you, or it means uh, uh, that would be a term of endearment that probably Laban had as he cared for his sheep and he saw her. And so that's why he probably named her Rachel. Now, we're reminded, I want to remind us that God looks at the heart, right? Not the uh, outward appearance he's looking in. Um, and God's going to work his plan. Now, Rachel is not going to be in the line, and we'll see it in Matthew, that her offspring is not going to be in the the line for Jesus. It's actually going to be Leah, and it's Judah. We'll see it in Matthew 1, 3. So that's the connect that that's going to be connecting all the way down to Jesus on the family tree. And we see that in Matthew. So it's Leah, not Rachel. Now Rachel has a hand and we'll see in just a second on uh, how things play out with her. <clears throat> um, but he loved Rachel and he, he was, he's like, oh, this, this is my, this is the one. And he, she goes back, tells her father, Laban comes out and they begin to interact and, uh, there's, there's some excitement, but Jacob is interested in Rachel. Thing is, he's family. So Laban, has, they're kind of trying to figure out, how's this work? Because he can't hire him as a slave or a hired hand. He's family. And so they kind of work out the process. And, and this is what they come to. Work for me seven years. I'll give you Rachel. And, and Jacob's like, I'm game. And so he's going to do that. And I guess Laban's like, OK, I get seven hard years of work out of this young man, and I get to marry off my daughter. Sounds like a good deal. Scripture says, for Jacob, it seemed like days. It's hard for me to think seven years seems like days. But uh, it, apparently, it, it went quick to him. Um, at the end of that seven years, of course, he, he's uh, time's up, goes to Laban and says, give me my wife. And so Laban says, all right. So he calls them men to a feast, and they celebrate. They have this uh, ceremony. Uh, the bride wears a veil. I don't know if it was dark. I don't know if they'd been a little bit of drinking. I don't know. But somehow, when he, uh, Jacob marries her, it's, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. Of course, he doesn't, he doesn't figure it out until the next morning. And then he realizes, whoa, I've been fooled. Now, if you remember, he fooled his own dad. Remember, he stole the birthright, so now he's actually the one being fooled or deceived. So he's like, "What's going on here?" Now, when I was kind of reading through, I started thinking, "Where's Rachel in this?" You know, was she like she had a veil on too, probably? But did she go, "Hey, Jacob, that's not me. Just so you know, you're marrying my sister." I mean, nothing. I mean, we don't have any indication of of that. And then you know, from the ceremony and the next morning, I guess, I guess Leah answered to Rachel. I don't know how, how did that work? I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a mess, but he talks to Laban and then Laban says, well, you know, I did, didn't want to, or we shouldn't marry off our younger before the older. So i tell you what, if you go through this week long celebration, then I'll give you Rachel, but you gotta work for me another seven years. And so Jacob does that. Um, and then, so he, he takes Rachel as his wife, and so he has two wives. Now, note scripture. There's there, scripture never says this is God's ideal for marriage. It's it's one, so not multiple wives. So sometimes we even see, as we see in scripture, we see them the good, the bad, the ugly. We we don't. Uh, Scripture doesn't sugarcoat the mistakes that our ancestors made, the uh, family tree, Old Testament, New Testament. We still see both. And because of this, there's a lot of fallout, and you can see it through Genesis. of Him taking two wives and all that goes on with that, and it's just chaos. And we see as we go through the next few chapters, Leah has sons, Rachel doesn't have any. Um... Leah's first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Judah. And Judah's the one that you'll see in Matthew 1-3 on the family tree for Jesus. And then Rachel's maid. And then Leah's Leah's maid. And so they they're continuing to have boys. And then finally, it says Genesis 30 um, that God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. And she had a son, and she had Joseph. And so we see Joseph's story in Genesis 37 to 50. Um, and this is where uh, we kind of Rachel gets her name because of Joseph and what ended up happening with Joseph. So t- time passes. Rachel becomes pregnant again. Labor's difficult, and she passes, but gives birth to a son, Benjamin. And so uh, verse Genesis 35, 19 says, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. And so here, Rachel, and this is kind of when she takes on that role, some would say the matriarch wife of Jacob, the sorrowful mother, as some have referred to her. And then the rabbis even called her the mother of Israel for all time. And basically why they're calling that and tying it in with that is because of her son, Joseph, who... Again, going back to all the brothers and the and the mixed up there and then them hating Joseph and, and getting him sold off and he goes to Egypt and we we know the story. Joseph's faithful, God blesses, and ends up saving Jacob and the family through Joseph's actions. So that's kind of how where it ties in with Rachel. All right, so first stone that's skip. Now the second is we're gonna hit uh, we're heading into Jeremiah. So again, uh Because of what Joseph's faithfulness and years later, God heard the cries of the people and the agony and the anguish and sent Moses and they came out of the captivity. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. And this is what Matthew references. But let's read it in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah, a lament and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, for children, because they are no more. Now, Ramah is a town about five miles north of Jerusalem. Roughly in that area, that's where Rachel was buried, and uh, Jacob very, very much grieved when that happened. So she's buried there. And we fast forward into Jeremiah. Um, this would be about sixth century BC. The Babylonians come in, they conquer Jerusalem, and they level it. And then they take the captives and it has been said that they took them out, marched them north out of Jerusalem to, to Ramah. And there they took them and broke them into groups and caravans and marched them off in exile. And so it's almost like a picture of, for the Jeremiah here that they're in Ramah. If Rachel were alive, and she's buried there, but if she were alive, she would have wept watching the people going into exile. Going into captivity. And that would and that's the picture he says. Now, if if you and I, when when we're unpacking Jeremiah, we know that's a book that's full of sorrow, but chapter 31 is a chapter of hope in Jeremiah. So look at the following verse. It says, This is what the Lord says, verse 16. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for the reward for your work. Will come. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return from enemy's land. And there is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. So even as they march off in exile and the agony and the anguish, that we can't even imagine as they're broken into groups. And no assurance that they'll see their loved one ever again and they march out and just the agony in that moment there in that 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 region there's hope because they will god will hear god will pull them out of the enemy's land and will pull them out and bring them back pull them out of exile first stone genesis with a little bit of the background second stone jeremiah second skip now the plunge all right matthew so when Matthew's telling the story, uh, and he shared, uh, we didn't read it here, but the wise men came, they worshiped, they left, and then Herod finds out, and he goes into a rage and, and says, all the boys, two and under roughly, slaughter them. And they, uh, experts estimate that in that region, Probably a thousand people live there, so they would think, estimate 10 to 20 families would have a boy that would be in that age range that, that would lose a life. And so you can kind of picture when Herod's men come in and they begin to, as, as scripture, it's known, this section is known as the slaughter of the innocents. And they, once again in that region, hear anguish and cry and fear. An agony. It says, a voice was heard in Ramah. This is Matthew saying it, but he's referencing Jeremiah again. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. So you think that, that anguish and heartbreak. So you had it years before when the exiles, as they marched out of the land, but God brought them back. They ended up... Coming back to, as a people, and they had the king, had King uh, David and others They were worshiping uh, the Lord back in the land after being in exile. Here, fast forward, the people there, here it comes in, and now again, there's weeping and agony and, and hurt. But I want p- to pick this up. As, as Matthew referenced that, and it ma- matches up very close to what Jeremiah said. But here's the next verse that Matthew didn't say, but it, the next verse that Jeremiah, so let's go back and read it. it, says, "This is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return from the enemy's land. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return to their own territory. The, see, the Old Testament, as you read it, it's, it's pointing. It's, it, there's a Messiah. The Messiah is to come. It's just uh, over and over again. And then we get to the New Testament, and we see the Messiah has come. He is, he's been revealed. Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. There is hope. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33 says this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So when we picture the the tears that are shed on the exiles, and then they were rescued, we see uh, the tears that are being shed there in and around Bethlehem on that unimaginable time, if you were a family with a boy. The thing is, even as they're crying and they're weeping, the Savior has been born. There is hope. There is joy to, to come. So much so that, that that little one would grow to a f- fine young man and in 30-ish, 30 years old, roughly, be, stepping into the public scene, the public eye, miracles, teachings, three years later he would shed tears, tears of his blood. He would shed those, that blood on the cross so that those that are in exile, those that are in captivity to sin, will be rescued, will be redeemed, will be saved. And he, he shed his blood. He gave his life. So there is hope. There is joy. And it was for them, and it is for us today. When, when we look in, the, in this this world that we live in. We know it's a fallen world. We know it's a dark world. Sin is everywhere. We're born into to slaves of sin. We need to be rescued out of this dark world. We're, we're living like exiles. We need to be rescued. And that's what Christ the Messiah brings for us. For Jesus, he lived and died and rose from the dead. And so we can have hope and joy. So even when we see uh, things going on in our world, or even in our own lives, and if you're in a season as we head into Christmas, and this is a season of tears for you, then what I want to encourage you is that one day those tears are going to be wiped away. The Messiah has come. And so these tears will not be permanent. It's going to be short-lived, and eternity, is, this is all going to just be like a vapor. So we have hope, we have joy, in Christ Jesus, so I, I, I pray. If 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 you're in that season, this is a tough one, then I pray cling to Christ, cling to the one who rescued. He knows your heart, He knows your thoughts, He knows your lives, He knows your circumstances. He knows that you were sinner, and yet He gave His life for you and for me, and so uh, for us as followers of Jesus, we can have hope and joy is to come. He will be our God. He is our God for many of us. So I pray that as we step into December and and Christmas approaches in three and a half weeks or so, we, you and I, have the opportunity to point people to the Savior and to tell them there is hope and joy in Jesus Christ. We celebrate Christmas because He came, but we know that He came also led to the wooden cross and his body on it. And so uh, I pray that if you're a believer, then celebrate and look for opportunities to tell people and appoint them to the one that can rescue, the one that can forgive, the one that can save. And tears will be wiped away. So if you're still wrestling with questions of faith, is Jesus real? All that, then I encourage you to continue to wrestle. God's not alarmed by your questions. He actually wants you to, to question and He wants you to to be in the Word and to talk to others that know, and then He wants to reveal Himself to you. And so praise God, He provided a Savior. Even from the foundation of the world, this was already His plan. And praise be to God for that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, As we, as we can try to imagine the anguish and the hurt and the heartache that was experienced in that part of Israel and in in those two incidents, Lord, that it, it just seemed almost unimaginable, and yet you provided. And ultimately, Lord, you held nothing back, giving your only son. That Jesus stepped out of eternity, out of eternity, Heaven and put on flesh and bone and lived among us and experienced life with all the joys and while the heartache. He was without sin. And then, Lord, He gave His life. And so, Lord, we humbly uh, cry out to You and, and give our worship, give our thanks. Lord, we're humbled that You would see us in our sin and yet You would send Jesus anyway. And so, Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we pray that You'd help us as we. Uh, move through this season and the people that we work with, that we live near, Lord, that we'll be quick to love them like Jesus would and that we'd point them to you. And Lord, if they need a shoulder uh, to cry on, then Lord, help us be that. And then Lord, help us to show them that Christ has come. And so Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you'd be glorified this season. Lord, we we pray for our country, we pray for our world, we pray for the Middle East. Lord, it, there's so much going on, um, but Lord, you're not alarmed, you're not caught off guard. You're faithful, so we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come up, but as they come up, what I want to do is, and, and when they get settled up here... Um, I want to have just a quiet moment where we can spend some time praying and reflecting. We're all in here with di- in different stages of life and different stages, circumstances, uh, some affecting with family or marriage or finances or job or you name it. And so, I'll, I'll give us that opportunity to reflect and to pray for a few minutes for that. And then two, is, as we're doing that also, it's that time to search our hearts. If there's any unconfessed sin, I pray you and I would, would just be transparent with God. We can't hide it from him. Let's share it. Let's confess it. Let's seek his forgiveness and his restoration, restoring the fellowship we have as Christians. And then as, as you and I do that, we can actually come forward and we'll be uh, taking part in the Lord's Supper, and that's with the bread and the juice. The bread represents his body juice represents his blood and that Christ uh, gave it all and so when we when we do this we're remembering that and so this is for believers and and believers that have kind of processed and gone through that and then I encourage you to come up if you're at a point where today's the day and you're like it's clicking for me I understand I understand my sin and that I need this savior then in this moment just tell God that you confess your sin Turn and put your faith and trust in Jesus, and then you too can come in and be a part of, of, of celebrating what Jesus did, remembering that he gave his all. So let me let me give us a few moments to pray together uh, silently, and then I'll uh, transition us to the Lord's Supper and singing. So let's pray. Lord, you've just heard the prayers of men and women in this room. Lord, you, you, you weren't overwhelmed with all our requests and all our thoughts and our confession and our thanksgiving. Lord, you heard it just as if it was just one of us talking to you. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you that you're a God who hears, you're a God who acts. Lord, you are the eternal, all-powerful God. And Lord, we worship you. Lord, as we uh, transition to uh, the next moment where we're going to sing to you, uh, Lord, we want to sing from the heart. And uh, Lord, we want this to be part of this, this whole time of worship and praise. And then, Lord, as we go by and as we take a, a little bit, a piece of bread, and as we get a little bit of a uh, cup of juice, Lord, that these will truly remind us that it's what Christ did 2,000 years ago when he held nothing back. He was 100% obedient to your will and your plan and gave his life. And then Lord victoriously stepped out of the tomb three days later and lives today and promised to return to rescue his people. And so Lord, I thank you and I pray that you'll just uh, uh, bless these next few minutes as we sing and as we do the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.